have some hands going, me. Um, how many of you have been to the Sea of Galilee? Same people, right? If you're going to go to Israel, you're going to go to the Sea of Galilee. Um, well, I want you, at least in your mind's eye, and those of you who have been to the Sea of Galilee, you have a leg up on us because you've actually been there. And so it would be a lot easier for you to form this picture in your mind. But let's go to the Sea of Galilee, to that region of Galilee, and we're going to join a small group of people who are following this person. And of course, you know I'm talking about Jesus and his disciples. And if you go to Mark chapter 8, we find them there by the sea, near the sea, and Jesus has fed 4,000 people. And once he's fed the 4,000 people, they've collected leftovers. Now, I don't know about... But that's a miracle, right? Jesus has performed miracle after miracle leading up to this point. They continue. They go from Galilee where Jesus is teaching. He's having an argument with the Pharisees. And they go from Galilee into a place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you look back in your Bible, you might have a map. You'll see that that is kind of above the Sea of Galilee. It is the northernmost part of Jesus's ministry. This is the farthest Jesus has been from the place where he ultimately will give his life in Jerusalem. They're going away from this destiny that Jesus has with the cross. And he's fed the 4,000. They're traveling into this area. And then Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? We've fed these 4,000 people. We've been traveling around everywhere we go. There's huge groups of people that come around us. Who do people say that I am? And we see the list of the different prophets that they would list. And Peter proclaims that you are the Christ. And in Luke, it records He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a pronouncement. It's like a high water mark there where it's been kind of under cover all this time. Jesus has always said that he was the son of man. And that was kind of his code word for saying that he was truly the Messiah. And here, Peter proclaims, you are the Christ. And for the Jewish That means you are the Messiah. You are the one that we have been waiting for. You are going to be the king of Israel. You're going to set all this right. And you're going to kick the Romans out. You're going to make Israel have the glory that Israel deserves and should have. That glory that was promised by God. The Messiah is coming. You are the Messiah. So they're excited about this. And then Jesus says this. Chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is the first time that Jesus mentions to his disciples plainly what his true destiny in Jerusalem is going to be. It's going to be his death. And then, a resurrection. What is this about? The disciples, not sure. How do we respond to this? Peter, having just proclaimed that he was the Messiah, says, whoa, well, Jesus, no, you are the Messiah. You're not going to go and die in Jerusalem. This, this isn't going to happen to you. Uh, he rebukes Jesus and tells basically Jesus, no, that's not what is going to happen to you. And Jesus, trying to teach his disciples about what is going to happen to him, looks and sees the disciples and says to Peter, stop, Peter. You, you don't know what you're talking about. You're being used by Satan. Get behind me. Get out of my way. This is where I'm going. And then he calls the crowd to him and his disciples, and he says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the Messiah, the king, the one that's going to kick out the Romans, the one that's going to do these wonderful things in Israel, says, I'm going to die. I'm going to put myself down. And then he says to those who are following him, and that's exactly what I want you to do. So they continue. And it's pretty amazing because from that point, (laughs) we come to another amazing picture. Peter has said, look, You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. But then he says, there in Caesarea Philippi, probably up on Mount Hermon, we don't know exactly, but he says, come up with me to this high mountain. And so Peter, who's just rebuked Jesus, James and John go up with him into the mountain. And we have the story of the transfiguration. Jesus His glory is seen. What an incredible picture. And of course, Peter pops up and he says, hey, let's build this temple here. And then God causes them only to see Jesus. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. He should be your focus. From this point in in Mark, with this proclamation of Jesus about what is going to happen, I like to look at this this journey that we're about to go on from here to the time when he arrives near Jerusalem. It's kind of the journey from the transfiguration to the cross. It's very interesting. In the transfiguration, you have Jesus in his kingdom glory. They, They see him in his kingdom glory, and then there are two men there with him. Then they fade and only Jesus is seen. We look ahead to the cross and Jesus is hanging on a tree. And there are two men, two sinners beside him. One to his right, one to his left. 
And the glory of the transfiguration makes our hearts expand. But there was a glory in the cross because the work of the Son is His glory. And so the glory of the cross is as much glorious as the glory of the transfiguration. Because without the glory of the cross, we would never see the glory of the kingdom. What a hope. So this journey from the transfiguration of this is, this is my son. This is the glory that he did not grasp. This is the glory that he was willing to set aside as though, oh, I can set this aside to do the work of the Father. That glory was seen on the mountain of transfiguration. But the glory was experienced. And all who will look to the cross can see the glory, that same glory, in the work of the Son. So Jesus is trying to teach his disciples as they're moving from the Mount of Transfiguration to Jerusalem what what the kingdom is really about. And so they continue on and they pass through Galilee. The disciples don't know it yet. At least Mark doesn't tell us. The Gospels don't tell us at this point that they knew where they were going. But we know that Jesus at this time has begun to move toward Jerusalem. This is the journey from the Mount of Transfiguration to the Mount of the Cross. So they are following along with him. Jesus teaches. He heals. He performs more miracles. And then we come after an incredible miracle where Jesus cast out a unclean spirit, we come to chapter 9 and verse 30, and we read, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered up into the hands of the men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, And they were afraid to ask him. They were confused. The Messiah, he keeps bringing up this thing about dying. And then what is this about rising again? Well, maybe he has to go through this death. And then it's the resurrection that he'll have this, the glory of the Messiah will appear and we'll see him as we're supposed to see him. And then he'll kick out the Romans. They were confused. Luke even tells us that there's a sense that it was divine that they weren't able to understand. That it was, they were being kept somewhat in darkness of truly understanding what was happening. But regardless whether it was a divine uh, grayness or whether it was their own spirit or a combination of those things, they did not understand. And we can see from their response that they were still had in their mind that Jesus the Messiah was this glorious being that was going to do this incredible thing. Why do we know that? Because they leave, got off the boat in Galilee, 
heading toward Capernaum. And when they came to Capernaum, they had been traveling there, walking along. They came to a house. It was probably the house of one of the disciples. It says, what, are you, what were you discussing on the way, Jesus asked. <laughs> and uh, they're like, uh, mm-hmm. they were silent. Why? Because they had been arguing on the way with one another about who was going to be the greatest. When Jesus, when he sets up his kingdom as the Messiah, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the one that he's going to lift up? Is it Peter? Peter's kind of our leader. He's, he's the one that proclaimed that he was the Messiah there in our group when Jesus asked, is that who he's going to be? They were arguing about who would be greater. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So we continue. The Messiah is moving toward Jerusalem. The disciples, in somewhat misunderstanding, are following along with him. The crowds are beginning to come. There's a sense of urgency. There's, there's something in the air that's beginning to happen. The power that the disciples are after, we see in chapter 9 and verse 38. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. Do you want us to rebuke us? Do you want us to stop him? And Jesus says, no, if they're with us, they're for us. Let's let the word, let the work go forward. The disciples continue with them. The, uh, we see in the beginning of chapter 10, the Pharisees begin to question him. There's tension beginning to grow even with the leadership of the Jews at that time. Uh, children are being brought to him. And they're, oh no, he's, he's the Messiah. He's, no, let the children come to me. And then he has a conversation with the rich young man who has all of this world. And Jesus says, come, follow me. Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him to use what he had for the kingdom in this world. But the young man turned and walked away. And that brings us to our main lesson of today with another foretelling of Jesus' death. In verse 32 of chapter 10, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. This is the first time we see that they were on the road going to Jerusalem. And of course, they're going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the high point and you would travel up to Jerusalem. You were always on the pathway up to Jerusalem. And the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him. And in Matthew, it tells us that they actually got their mother to come and talk to Jesus. So that's a part of the story that Mark doesn't show us here. But they have a purpose. They're after to do something. Teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Wow. I mean, I don't know how they said that, but as I read that in the text, it sounds pretty pretentious. <laughs> but perhaps they're thinking, in their mind, this is the Messiah. He has, he has all the ability. He's, he's 
done all of these things for people who come to him. Heal my son. Cast this demon out. Heal this. Let me see. And Jesus has done all of these things. So, John, James, come to him. They've seen the transfiguration. They've seen the glory that Jesus has. And they come to him and they say, will you do this for us? We have one thing that we want to ask you. And what is that? He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And that's kind of a a rhetorical question where the answer is supposed to be no. (laughs) But what do they say? Oh, oh yes, we are able to do that. They said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And what he's saying here isn't like the baptism that we have here in our church. The cup always carried the picture. Well, not always, but often in the Old Testament and certainly in this context. Drinking from the cup was the cup of wrath. It was judgment. It was not a pretty picture. To take that cup was to say, I am going to take something that is going to harm me. It's going to hurt me. This is not a good cup that I'm about to drink. This baptism is more almost like the flood. A water rushing in and overwhelming. I don't know if you, but I've been in situations where out in the water at the ocean, you get caught in a, a, like a riptide and you feel that current and it's pulling you away and you're trying to go this way and it's trying to take you another way and you find yourself going under the water. The baptism, the overwhelming danger of water following over you, the feeling of, I can't get air. That's the baptism that we're talking about here. It's not a pretty picture that Jesus is saying. This is the baptism. You are going to suffer. Not to the point that Jesus did. No one will ever suffer to the point where Jesus suffered. But James and John did suffer in their own way. They did take the cup. They were baptized in suffering. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. And we would like to think that this indignity was, well, they were like, hey, John, James, come on. That's not what Jesus wants you to do. And Jesus, this is what he was saying He's going to suffer on the cross. He's going to die. This is his work, and that's his glory. No. What they're saying, and the the context, the text points out the fact that they were just, well, you're not going to get on his right and his left hand. 
That's my, I, I want that. They were indignant that they went and asked for this. They probably were thinking about that other um, conversation they had on the way to Capernaum. They got one lap on us. They went to Jesus, and now we're going to be indignant with them. Jesus in love (laughs) calls them to him, and he says to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're going to end in our text today, but we're going to refer back to chapters 8 and 9 as we continue in our sermon this morning. Because there's a pattern that we see that has developed through this. And this pattern, if we go back to chapter 8, we see Jesus, first of all, foretelling his death. And then what happens? Peter rebukes him. Then we have Jesus telling them, but this is how you're supposed to live in my power, in my kingdom. We go to chapter 9. What happens there? In verse 36, or I'm sorry, 32, Jesus again tells him, this is what is going to happen. And what do they do? Well, I am the greatest. They misunderstood what Jesus was trying to tell them. They misapplied it in their lives. And they decided, who's going to be the greatest amongst us? And what does Jesus do? He comes and he tells them, look, If you're going to be first, you're going to have to be last. You're going to have to be the servant of all. And then we come to chapter 10. The pattern continues. And we see Jesus once again in the most descriptive up to this point. He's telling them, this is what's going to happen to me. And how do they respond? Make us on your right and your end. Let us be great like you. Let us experience what you're going to do, Messiah. We follow you. You are our king. And when you bring your kingdom, let us sit on your right hand and your left. What does Jesus do? He tells them, this is how you're supposed to live in the kingdom. This is how you use my power. You become a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Every single time Jesus gives the prophecy about what is going to happen to him, he reveals what is going to happen. There is a particular response that disciples have each time. And it's not the proper response. Their response goes in a totally different direction of what Jesus is actually going to do. And then Jesus has to bring them back and explain the truth. And I want us to understand this morning that this is for us today because we are so much like the disciples. 
Jesus comes to us and he says, here is what I did. Here's where my glory is. You are looking for the glory of the transfiguration, but my glory is in the cross. I came to save you. I came to serve you with my very life, my death and resurrection. I did that for you. Really, you are my glory. You are the one that I want to present to my Father without spot or wrinkle. I am serving you because that is my glory. The disciples were seeking the wrong glory. Are we seeking the wrong glory in our own lives? First, we see that Jesus reveals. Jesus reveals the way of the kingdom to us. And the way of the kingdom is not what we want. We want the way of the kingdom to be a prosperity gospel. If I follow Jesus, then good things are going to happen to me. And we hear people preach this often. If you follow Jesus, you will have your best life ever. And the matter of fact is, that is true. But your best life ever isn't always the life that you imagine. It's the life that is lived in Christ, regardless of the suffering, regardless of the bank account, regardless of the health, regardless of your position, regardless of the power that you have. Jesus reveals that the way of his kingdom in this world is a path of suffering and trial. But then we see the response of the disciples, and I changed the outline here from the response of the disciples because it is a response, but there's something different about their response. Their response is they redirect Jesus' plan to match their own plan. Jesus says, yes, I am on I am the Messiah, and I am on the way to Jerusalem, and I am going to set up my kingdom. And the disciples are like, yes, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and we are going to set up the kingdom. And when that kingdom is set up, do this for me, Jesus. They heard what was being said, but they totally misinterpreted what Jesus was saying. How often... Do we do that in our lives? We look and we read the scriptures and we're looking through the Psalms. We're looking through the Proverbs. We're looking for those passages that make me feel better. Those passages that give me hope because I I need this. I need to be able to have what I am seeking. Jesus, do that for me. You are, you are God. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. I need this. Give it to me. We redirect the purpose of the kingdom from the purpose of Jesus 
to our own purposes. We are using Jesus to accomplish our own objectives, our own emotional securities, our own physical desires. We're seeking that in Jesus. And when we do this, when we direct the purpose, Jesus loves us the same way that he loves the disciples. He gives us the word. He gives us these passages we hear in this, chap- this book of Mark where Jesus rebukes them. And that's our third point this morning. Jesus rebukes them. And he says, this is the way you are to live in the kingdom. When we redirect the kingdom from the work of Christ to our own, we are saying the way of the kingdom comes through power and glory. But Jesus rebukes us and tells us the exalted in the kingdom are those who follow the example of the king. We will not know our place in the kingdom until we are like Christ. That is the objective of the disciple. That's why we are called Christians. We are little Christs. We are supposed to be like him. And what was the pattern that Jesus set in his life? in his death, and in his resurrection. It was never for himself. It was for the glory of his Father, and it was because of his love for us. That is what drove Jesus from the Mount of Transfiguration to the cross. Luke tells us his face was set to go to Jerusalem. And it gives the impression that something was happening. There was a sense that when he started going to Jerusalem, there was a difference in the air. It tells us in Mark chapter 9 that the people were afraid. Something was going to happen. There was some tension. And then he came and he got to Samaria. And the Samaritans said, well, you can't go through here. And he was redirected to go a different route, but always making his way to Jerusalem. Jesus was set to be the servant, the servant for all of us. So how do we live as servants? Well, Jesus tells us here in the end of this passage of chapter 10, Verse 41, we'll start there and read through. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. The first step to living As a leader in God's kingdom, a person who can be used by God in his kingdom is to reject the earthly view of leadership, to reject the earthly view of what the kingdom means to you, 
those who would be great in this world lord it over them, lord it over the people that they have. Think of the particular leaders in that time. They set themselves up as gods. They said, we are gods, or I have married the goddess, and I am the progeny of, um, my father married this goddess, and I am the progeny of this marriage. I, therefore, am a quasi-deity. They have put themselves up in glory, and they used it to their advantage. You must reject any semblance that you would use your service in the kingdom for your own advantage. So I ask you, why do you serve in Subaru Road Baptist Church? Well, because we're supposed to serve. You just said in, in Mark, we're supposed to serve. Well, I think it's important to note that what Jesus said was, you must be a servant of all. He didn't say, you must serve all. Okay, Jonathan, you're, what are you saying? Well, I can serve someone and not be a servant. I can serve because I get something out of it. I can serve because I have an objective, and that service is a stepping stone to get to where I actually want to be. I will serve this person because I really like this person, and maybe I actually can form a relationship with this person. Our motives are not pure in our service. A servant, a slave, has no choice. They serve. They serve the king. They do the work. But Jesus wants us to have his heart of service. He wants us to be a servant. So, we reject the earthly view of leadership and we accept the kingdom view of leadership. Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. If you want to have position in the kingdom, you must serve. You must have a heart of service. You must give of yourself. Not seeking to use things to your own advantage, but seeking to help others. Why do we say this? Because the third point in our conclusion this morning is follow the perfect view of leadership. Do you want to truly have a role in this kingdom? Then reject the earthly view of leadership, accept the kingdom view of leadership, and follow the perfect view of leadership. You see, Jesus did nothing to advance himself. Everything he did was to advance the glory of his Father. Everything he did was out of love for you. Jesus died for you. Yes, Jesus died to bring glory to the Father, but it's all the work 
of him bringing the Father, you, you, he loved you and gave himself for you. That is the perfect example. Our king is the perfect example of how we are supposed to live in his kingdom. So I ask you again, how are you serving Jesus? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that is why I can say it's not just enough to serve. You must have the heart of a servant because Jesus had the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant to the point of giving his own life. That much the heart of a servant. Do you have that heart of service? When you're serving here at Subaru Baptist Church, are you serving with the heart of death? A heart of dying for your brothers and sisters here at Subaru Baptist Church? Is that how you serve? Or are you serving because, well... It's what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's Sunday. I go to church and I'm, I do this thing. And that is the right thing to do. And therefore I do it. Or do you do it with the heart of Jesus? Who set his face towards Jerusalem. Because he had a purpose. He was going to die for you in Jerusalem. That was his service. That was his work. Do you have that heart of love and sacrifice for your brothers and sisters here at Subaru Baptist Church? If not, then we need to take Jesus' rebuke to heart. We need to rethink how we view this whole kingdom thing. We need to stop and say, whoa, what is more important, his kingdom or my life in this world? Because until you give up your view of your life in this world and turn it to the kingdom of Jesus and how he has called us to live in that kingdom, you will never know the glory of the kingdom. Yes, someday, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will see him in glory. But you can see a part of that glory as you serve him, as you carry out the way he lived, you live the same way. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. That is the kingdom of the Messiah in this world whose kingdom are you serving are you serving your own are you rebuking jesus are you re redirecting the purpose of the gospel in order to accomplish your own objectives jesus rebukes you the word rebukes you stop it Get thee behind me. Let's get serious about 
service. Let's get serious about what this kingdom really is and give ourselves as a servant for many. Be like Jesus. Deny the kingdom, the view of the kingdom of this world. Accept the kingdom that Jesus has provided and shown to us through his word. And then follow him. Seek after him. Set your face to be like Jesus. Because the one who seeks to be a leader must be not just serve, they must be like Christ. They must be a servant. Father, we thank you for your son. We are thankful that though he was all-glorious, he is God. He set that aside and came. He told his disciples that he was going to die. He was going to suffer. The Messiah was going to be turned over to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were going to kill him. He was going to die. That was the purpose of the Messiah. That's still the purpose. That is still what you have told us in your word. Forgive us where we so often turn past that and go to the promises of the goodness and the great things we can have in this life. But help us to set our hearts, our face, to be servants like Jesus, like your son. Let us turn this world, starting here at Subaru Road, let us turn ourselves upside down because we have bought into this teaching of the kingdom and that we would give of ourselves to one another for the same reason that Jesus gave himself for us. Because we love one another and because we seek to give glory to you. May you receive glory in what happens as we leave from this auditorium today. 